Well, a man and a woman, they were in their mid-60s, and they were celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. And on their anniversary day, a fairy showed up, and, and the fairy promised or granted each one of them one wish because of how well they had treated each other throughout the years. And so the wife went first, and she wished for a trip around the world with her husband, and whoosh! Suddenly she had in her hands airline tickets and cruise tickets, and she was ready to go. And then uh, the fairy turns to the husband. The husband thinks for a moment, and he says, what I wish for is to have a female companion 30 years younger than myself. And suddenly, whoosh, and the man was, the husband was 95 years old. So you might... You might say the moral of that story is it doesn't pay to be a jerk, right? All right. So this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 5. We've been kind of slow there because we've been talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That the Christian life isn't difficult. It is because it's a supernatural life. And uh, if you're involved in a relationship then you know just what I'm talking about. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we are. We're in the subject and the area of relationships. And this morning we're going to talk about roles. We're going to talk about function. So I've entitled the message this morning, Real Freedom. Real Freedom. Lord, I just thank you for each and every single person here that was able to make it on this memorial weekend. And uh, we've already had a great time of just worshiping you, Lord. It was great to hear the voices. You are worthy of our praises. You are worthy of our praises. And now it says that you inhabit the praises of your people. I ask that you would manifest yourself in a very real and powerful way these next several minutes as we just look at your word. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And that truly the words that I speak would be your words. And they would bring life this morning. I also pray, though, for each and every single person here, not only for your blessing and peace to rest upon them, but that you would give them a soft heart. Not only a soft heart, but a a heart that would seek and hunger for you and your truth. So I'm just thanking you for what's going to transpire now, and I just praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Freedom is costly. The freedom that we... Celebrating this country that we're celebrating this weekend cost millions of men and women their very lives. And many more placed their lives on the line for our freedom. And every single one of us in here owes them a debt of gratitude. If if you are in any sense in the military, would you just please stand because I'd like to identify you and I would just like us to, to clap. As I said, freedom is costly. And there is a greater freedom, I want you to know this morning, than external freedom. And I'm so thankful that I live in the United States. But there is another freedom that's greater than external freedom, and that is internal freedom. Skip, can you put up the picture? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was executed on a cross. The price that was necessary to pay 
for the penalty of your sin and my sin and the power of our sin. The price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, very God in the flesh. And I pray that those of us that have experienced that freedom will never, ever recover from that. Now, when we talk about freedom, what does it mean to you? If someone asked you, what does it mean to be free, what would you say? How would you respond? I think most Americans would respond this way. Freedom is the ability to believe what I want, to say what I want, and to do what I want. How many here would say that that's a, you know, a good definition of freedom? Just, just raise your hands. We got a few that are willing to. I love that half, half thing, you know. Now, you know, that would be a worldly definition, by the way, of freedom. And if you actually believe that definition of freedom, which I believe is a lie, you're going to find yourself in bondage. You're going to find yourself having various addictions. You're going to find yourself doing sinful habits, destructive habits that you don't want to do. And the reason why is because if you choose that definition of freedom, you'll have strongholds that will literally enslave your mind. You see, the true definition of freedom is the ability, now listen to me, it is the ability to function within your design. The true definition of freedom is the ability to function within your design. For example, let me just give you a quick quiz. Quick quiz here. Skip, can you put up the picture? Which fish is free? Which do you got A and then you've got B? Now, if you're not sure which fish is truly free, the correct answer would be A. A. You see, a fish was designed to swim in water, to function in water. And it doesn't matter whether a fish thinks that water is too restrictive. It doesn't matter if the fish would like to swim in Coca-Cola. It doesn't matter if the fish would prefer to fly. Once that fish is out of the water, it is no longer free. It is toast. It was designed to swim in the water. And if you read the opening pages of Genesis, it says that there is a God. There is a God. And this God, it said, created the heavens and the earth. Do you understand what that means? It means that everything that you see, everything has a function and a purpose. Nothing that you see is haphazard. Nothing that you see is haphazard. Everything has a function or a design. You know, one of the great problems that we have is that we have so many experts today. Have you ever noticed that? There's all kinds of experts. In fact, that great theologian Woody Allen once said this about experts. Skip, you can put up his picture. He said this, an expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less until he knows absolutely everything about nothing. (laughs) Seriously, though, we have all kinds of experts. We have experts in the field of science. We have experts in the field of sociology. We have experts in the field of psychology. And so often they get things wrong. You know why they get things wrong? Because they have the wrong starting point. Their starting point is earth. Their starting point is human reasoning. Their starting point is human understanding. Rather than God who created everything and gave it a design. And see, if you get the wrong starting point, now listen to me, if you get the wrong starting point, then you're going to draw the wrong conclusions. For example, 
There's probably no more hot issue today than gender, correct? Probably tearing this country apart. Skip, can you put that picture up? I mean, think about it. We have male, we have female, we have transgender, we have transsexuals, we have androgynous, which I guess is essentially neither. You can start out as a boy and later change your mind and you can become a girl. We have immense confusion now going on in this world. And one of the reasons we have such confusion going on in this country is because our starting point is human reasoning, human understanding rather than the design of God. Listen to this. God's truth, the word of God says this in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27. It says this, then God said, let us, notice that, let us. You ever wonder who the us is? See, already Elohim, Hebrew, plural, already God's saying that he's a plural. We now know that, of course, it's the Father, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, and all the creatures that crawl along the ground. Now watch this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. He created them male and female. He created them. You see, you are either a male or you are a female. You are either a male or you are either a female. And by the way, if I put a male and a female up here, you'll notice that they are physically different. I hope you've noticed that. But they're not only just physically different. They are designed to function differently. Now, now I'm going to get controversial. They are designed to function differently, but I'm actually going to get the world to support me. You know, some years ago, Time Magazine had on the cover, here's what it read. It read this, why are men and women different? And then little print, it read this, it isn't just upbringing, new studies show they are created that way. That was on Time Magazine. Now that created a minor hailstorm. And Christine Gorman, who's a writer for Time, she wrote, you can put the picture up, Skip. She wrote the lead article, and it was entitled Sizing Up the Sexes. Here's what she said in part. Many scientists rely on an elaborately complex and costly equipment to probe the mysteries confronting humankind. Not Melissa Hines. The UCLA behavioral scientist is hoping to solve one of the life's oldest riddles with a toy box full of police cars, Lincoln Logs, and Barbie dolls. Hines and her colleagues have tried to determine the origins of gender differences by capturing on videotape the squeals of delight, furrows of concentration, and a myriad decisions that children from two and one half to eight make while playing. Although both sexes play with all toys available in Hines' laboratory, her work, listen to this now, confirms what most parents and more than a few aunts, uncles, and nursery school teachers already know, As a group, the boys favor sports cars, fire trucks, and Lincoln Logs, while the girls are drawn more to the dolls and kitchen toys. During the feminist revolution of the 1970s, talk of inborn differences in the behavior of men and women was distinctly unfashionable and even taboo, and how much more today? Once sexism was abolished, so the argument ran, the world would become a perfectly equitable, androgynous place, aside from a few anatomical details. But biology has a funny way of confounding expectations. Rather than disappear, the evidence for innate sexual differences only began to mount. 
Another generation of parents discovered that despite their best efforts to give baseballs to their daughters and sewing kits to their sons, girls still flocked to the dollhouses while boys clambered into the tree forts. End of quote. Isn't that interesting? Some years ago, there was a provocatively titled book that was published. The title was, Skip, you can put it up, Brain Sex, The Real Difference Between Men and Women. Makes you want to read that, huh? The authors were Anne Moyer and David Jessel. And by the way, they're not Christians. They are actually secular social scientists. And here's what they wrote in the introduction of their book. Listen to this. Men are different from women. No kidding. They are equal only in their common membership of the same species, humankind. To maintain that they are the same in aptitude, skill, or behavior is to build a society that is based on a biological and scientific lie. That is what we are presently doing, by the way, right now. And that's why we're in such trouble. The sexes are different because their brains are different. The brain, the chief administrative and emotional organ of life, is differently constructed in men and in women. It processes information in a different way, which results in a different perception, priorities, and behavior. It is time. It is time to explode the social myth that men and women are virtually interchangeable. All things being equal, all things are not equal. End of quote. Isn't that amazing? True science agrees with God, the Bible. I've always said, give science, give humanity enough time, and they will find up, and they will finally get to where God in the Bible is. Amen, oh my. Men and women are different, not just physically. I want to say that to start this thing out. Men and women are are different, not just physically, but they're different in their design. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles, you can look there, and I hope you're actually reading that. But in Ephesians chapter 5, you're going to see a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and you're going to see their roles. So I just want to read them, okay? So it starts out like this, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22. Starting at verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. He continues on, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, you know... As a man, and I, I looked at this, so I'm going to tell you what I first saw, you know, as a man. And the thing that, you know, struck me is the man's job description, the husband's job description is three times as long as the women's. 
<laughs> to catch that. So that must mean men are pretty thick because we need a lot more instruction. And if you're a woman, you probably don't doubt that. If you're sitting next to your husband, you know that we can be thick. So we need lots of instruction. And, and by the way, just to give you kind of a preview, we'll hit the men next week, actually. So wives, you'll want to make sure you drag your husband here. All right. But that's just a little preview. Now, if you're a woman, though, you know what stood out there? The word submission, right? I mean, you, you, I mean it's kind of like, let's hit the elephant in the room. And probably maybe a wave of nausea came over you, maybe some anger and whatnot. And, you know, we, we, we tend to, obviously, and I talked about this last week, we tend to view, you know, submission in a very negative way. And here's my problem. So let, let me run this thing through you. How many here believe that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God? And, and, and what, what I mean by that, just keep your hands raised. What I mean by that is it's inspired. It is God-breathed. So he's the ultimate author of the book. Just, just raise them really high. Okay. Thank you. Now, if this is the inspired word of God, God breathed, that means that God authored it. That means that everything in this book is correct. It is right. And what God had Paul write in Ephesians chapter 5 is good for the woman, is good for the wife, and it is healthy. Well, not, we're, we're getting a little, now I'm not quite so sure about, maybe we want to rethink this inspiration thing, huh? You see, my problem is, I do believe that this is the inspired word of God. And what that means is it's truth. And Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth. No, you shall walk in the truth, and then you'll walk in freedom. And so, what has been written here for the role of the woman is good. It is healthy. And by the way, if she walks in it, she will walk in freedom. She will know freedom and she will walk in freedom. Now, I know some of you as women are probably struggling for a whole myriad of reasons, maybe because of your husband, maybe because of previous marriages. And so you've got some lies in your mind about submission. And so I just very quickly, for the rest of this morning, wanted to talk about those lies because, you know, remember, it's about lies and truth, truth and lies. And so let's talk about two of the great lies of submission. The first lie that I want to talk about when it comes to submission is that we think that our role is equivalent to my value. So whatever role I have determines the value that I have as a person, right? We tend to think that in the United States. Let me just give you an example. How many here are football fans? How many men here are football fans? I figured the men could grasp this, all right? So, uh, you know, Skip, put up the picture. Here you will see some of the starting offensive linemen in the NFL. Now, if you are not initiated into the sport of football, what an offensive lineman does, other than look big and dumb, is he actually creates hole for the running backs to run through, or he protects the quarterback from getting killed. Now, it's an easy job description to understand, but trust me, it's very difficult to carry out. Now, as I was doing some studying, by the way, uh, this week, I found out that the average salary for the starting offensive lineman in the NFL is about $5 million, give or take a million dollars. So we're not going to feel too sorry for him, right? All right, Skip, put up the next picture. The next picture here, you have the, some of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL, all right? 
Uh, a quarterback for the uninitiated would be the general of the offense. He stands under the center. He gets the ball, and he generally hands it off to a running back, or he'll drop back to pass the ball and throw it to a receiver. Now, in studying this week, I found out that the average starting quarterback, get this now, in the NFL makes about $17 million, give or take a million. In fact, who's the starting quarterback? Anybody know for the New York Giants? His name is Eli Manning. You know what he makes? A cool $21 million. $21 million. So what I want you to get is in the sport of football, your role does determine your value, right? If you are a quarterback, you generally get paid more than anybody else on the team. So you've got to say the quarterback is more important than anybody else on the team. That's the way the world works. And that's kind of what we're shot through with. Now, let me ask you this question. Let's say Jesus Christ were to own a football team. Now, we know what football team he would own if he owned one. Of course, it would be the Minnesota Vikings, God's team. Now, if Jesus Christ was the owner of the Minnesota Vikings, would he pay the court? We got a heretic in the group. All right, just... That's why you need ushers, ushers. Obviously, we're not at a Trump rally, by the way, either. Now, if Jesus were to own a football team, would he pay the quarterback more than the offensive lineman or the defensive lineman or the linebackers or the wide receiver or a running back? Would he do that? No. See, we say that easily. He would pay each one of them. I want you to get this. He would pay each one of them the exact same amount. Because you see, they are all of equal value. They just have different roles. And by the way, Jesus would tell you that each of the roles is of equal value. Now, see, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. That is really hard for us to wrap our heads around. So I just want you to sit back, and I want you to see how the kingdom of God really works. Skip, can you put up those scriptures in 1 Corinthians? Now, just watch this. If you're a believer, this is how the kingdom of God works. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift, by the way, you will have. Skip put up the next verses in 1 Corinthians. Now I want you to see this. So the Spirit gives different gifts, but our, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Skip put up the last part. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that we should not be seen, while we, the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that the extra honor and care are given to those parts which have less dignity. This makes for harmony 
among the members so that all the members care. Watch this for each other. If one part suffers, then we all suffer. And if one part is honored, then we all are glad because we're all honored. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. And too bad we don't preach it that way. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, we are all of equal value. No one is better. No one is worse. Every single one of us is equal value. We all have a role to play and our roles are equally of value. And we need to understand that. That is how God operates. And I'll tell you, once you begin to understand that, it's going to affect your relationship because that's how things need to operate in the kingdom of God. Now let me just very quickly give you a second lie that we tend to believe. The second lie is found in the Trinity. The second lie is this. The second lie is, you know, someone says, you know, Frank, if I am submissive, if I am submissive, then that means, you know, I'm weak. I'm going to be a doormat in the relationship, right? I mean, how, who here wants to be a doormat in the relationship? So a woman reads, wow, you're, you're asking me, God is asking me to be a doormat. Skip, can you put up the picture? That's a picture of the Trinity. The Trinity is a very unusual thing. There's nothing like the Trinity. In fact, some people say, I can't believe in God because the Trinity is irrational. No, no, it's not irrational. It's unique. It's unique. The Trinity is made up of three beings, the Father, the Son, or the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. But they all make up God. Do you understand that? And someone says, how can that be possible? Three beings, three distinct beings, yet they all make up God. It is a mystery none of us will understand. But here's what is interesting about the Trinity. I call the Trinity, by the way, the perfect relationship. It is a perfect small community. And do you realize that within the Trinity there's hierarchy? Let me just break this down for you. In the Trinity, the Father is known as the planner. He planned everything. The word, and you can see this in Genesis, by the way. Then you see the word of God and it said, And God spoke. That was Jesus. And he said he spoke everything into existence. And then you see the spirit of God. It says he's hovering over the earth. And he's got, he is the power that makes everything happen. And within the Trinity, so you have the Son who is submissive to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is submissive to the Father and to the Son. So there's a hierarchy there. But yet they are all equal. Yet they are all equal. Yet there is a hierarchy within the Trinity. It is necessary. See, that goes against worldly thinking. Just because you have a hierarchy and you have different roles, we say, ah, that's different values or I'm going to be a doormat. Do you think anyone, do you think the son is a doormat to the father? Anybody think that that Jesus is a doormat to the father? Do, Do we really believe that? Is the Holy Spirit a doormat to the son and to the father? Anybody believe that? See, the answer is no. In fact, if you read scripture, it's really interesting. You know what they do? They all glorify each other. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. Jesus glorified the Holy Spirit. Isn't that something? Isn't that awesome? You know what they're doing? They're filling one another's gas tanks up. Because they see, you see, if, if the Father ceased to exist in that relationship, do you understand God would cease to exist? 
God would cease to exist. So the Father knows he needs the Son and he needs the Spirit. They all need each other. And what we don't understand in relationship is a husband can't do without the wife. And the wife can't do without the husband. And when we really begin to understand how the Trinity works, our relationships are going to radically, radically change. So here's the challenge for this morning. The challenge is simple. And, and, and I'm... I'm I have no other way than just to lay it on the line. Which perspective do you live from? There are only two perspectives you can live from. There's, there's not a third. You're either living from an earthly perspective, a worldly perspective, and so you're going to view things the way the world views them. You're going to think, you know, women's rights, blacks' rights, Indian rights, you know, and, 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 and you're, you're, you're going to be fighting. And you're always going to be, you know, say, gee, you know, I, 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 I'm not being respected here. You see the world, it's at each other's throats because they come from a worldly perspective and they don't understand design and role. Or you're going to come from God's perspective. Second Timothy 3.16, Skip, put it up. All scripture is God-breathed. And useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and correcting. All scripture right here is truth. And see, if you choose to begin to run from truth, that's why I, I generally don't have the TV. You know, someone says, well, you, you know, we, we, we don't want to be legalists here, Frank. No, no, you just don't want to sit there and have lies poured into you. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the path of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you see the progression? Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You say, well, what is that? How about television? What do you think that is? Or radio? See, that's all worldly. You're, you're, just, you're, you're just getting worldly pornography. Just pour it out. Boom, you're just dumping it on yourself. And don't tell me it doesn't affect you the way you think. Of course it does. It affects the way I think. And that's why people are so confused and they're so negative and, and they're so upset and they're so angry and they're so envious because we live in the world and we have a worldly perspective. But see, that's why I read this. No, I read it because as I get truth in here and I begin to walk it, and you do, you're going to walk in freedom. I'm going to tell you, God who created you loves you and wants you to walk in freedom. He wants your relationship to be incredible, and it can be if you have enough faith to believe it. No, if you have enough faith to believe it. Or you can just do it the way the world does it and be in misery. I can't fix you. I got people that come all the time and I tell them, I can't fix you. You got to make a decision. Do you want to live in lies or do you want to live in truth? Do you want to live in lies or do you want to live in truth? If you choose to begin to have enough faith to believe what God is saying, the Holy Spirit will energize you and he will give you the ability then to live this out and you'll walk in freedom. Every single one of us needs to make a decision right here. Is it going to be truth or am I going to go with the lies? Don't, the lies will mess you up and mess your relationship up. Father, I pray that we'll just take this to heart as we start really looking at relationships. I ask even now, Holy Spirit, that you'll begin to move in a greater fashion even now. 
that you will breathe a fresh faith within us, a faith to believe what you have written is true, even though it's countercultural, even though it goes against what this society says. Oh, Lord, may you, I, I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, you will come and breathe a faith within each one of us to start living this out walking this out so that we can walk in freedom and be an example to those on the outside who live in darkness and lies and are looking for answers. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.